News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. I'm Aaron here with Rick and Jill Van Dyke. How's it going today, guys? Very good. Very uh, good. It's a beautiful day. Look at the river is just glass. Weirdly calm out there. Glass. <laughs> just like glass. Calm. I'm sure we're going to see lots of kayaks and paddle boards and canoes come by this morning with this weather the way well, it is. Well, you know, the, the last week for, isn't that sad? The, I'd say the last week for the kids out of school. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it happened really quickly. There's not much yeah. time left for those school breaks. Yeah. Some of them, I don't think, go back to September 1st, but a lot of them go back, I think, you're on the 27th, Wednesday, 28th. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> It's, yeah. Came up really fast this year. Yep. It feels like, especially when you when the weather's so beautiful right now. It's just yeah, it's summer's gone by. Yeah, and like hockey tryouts are starting already this weekend. Oh, oh my goodness, it is starting. <laughs> hey, we're we're starting to think fall already. <laughs> well, I was actually driving out of my out of my house today, and there's a whole big canopy of trees down my street. Mm-hmm. And, Guess what? There's yellow leaves on the ground already. No, nope. so I, I think the cool <laughs> nights are starting to tell the tell the trees to go to bed a little bit. So, yeah. um, I think a little bit of the heat stress too. And the heat stress yeah. too. But yeah, we're we're starting to get signs of fall for sure. The nights are a lot crisper. It's true. The you, uh, usually on the river you'll see the color changing quicker than anything, but I don't see too much color changing on the river. So we're still mostly green. We'll say we're still in summer. We're still, <laughs> we're still in summer. summer. Two more weeks. At yes, least. at least two more weeks. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a question or uh, comments or just need a few tips, you can give us a call or text this morning at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We have a couple of texts that we can get to here while uh, while we. Uh, wait for our first caller of the morning. Um, this one coming from Irene in the Nipawin area. Uh, good morning. I have a beautiful, oh, you're, you guys are going to have to help me with this one. Uh, Diplodina? Diplodinia, yeah. Oh, I was good close. job. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering how to winter it. It's in the pot that it came in. All right. So Diplodinia is in the Mandevilla family. They love the hot sun. Um, so what she can do is she can keep it outside growing in, in its container um, until the nighttime temperatures are around like 7 to 10 degrees. Then she'll want to bring it in. When she brings it in, she'll want to use an insecticidal soap or a product called Endol, which has pyrethra and canola oil um, in it. And that will use it about every 10 days. Okay. That will get rid of any bugs that are in there and then she can transplant it too just to make sure that there's no bugs in the soil and, as well. And pick and pick all the flowers off before you bring it in. Yeah. The that's flo- where the bugs are. The flowers and bug buds, I'll usually pick pick those off or even cut the plant down to about a third of its size. Okay. Um, then they can bring it in. They can do one of two things with the diplodinias or the mandevillas if people have one of those is they can bring it inside and they can put it in a hot sunny window and continue to let it grow um, throughout the summer season or they can um, let it grow for a little bit. And then when our when our um, daylight hours go down, they can actually make it go dormant, kind of like you would a geranium. Okay. So putting it into like a basement window, decreasing the watering, um, and then starting to get it going again. A, a garage with the window or something like that, that stays, you know, no colder than, on those ones there, if you're being dormant, no colder than minus zero to minus five maximum. Okay. Yeah. So, and then um, come January, February, pull it out, start watering it, fertilizing it, give it a little trim, and it will start growing again for you. All right. 
quite the project, it sounds like. Well, it's, <laughs> it's just the same project that if you're wanting to carry these plants over winter, but maybe yeah. you don't have the space for them to grow in a nice window, you can maybe put them into an area that's maybe not as good, let them go dormant, and then get them yeah. going again later. That'll be a big thing that a lot of people will be thinking about, whether they have hibiscus or yeah. they have, uh, you know... An uh, oleander, gardenia, oleander. any yep. of those patio tropicals, the same maple. process you can do with them. Yep. Any of those non-hardy plants that people want to carry over from winter to winters. Got to remember, things in a pot won't survive in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Even if they put a Brandon cedar or, you know, like a beautiful, like a hardy plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's in a pot, the fr- horizontal frost gets to the roots and it just doesn't survive in a pot. So you have to bring anything you got in a pot, you either have to transfer into the soil. Yeah. For the wintertime, like just plant it in the garden. Okay. And if you want to leave it in the pot, you can just put some paper around the pot so you don't stain the pot, mm-hmm. right, from the soil. Don't put plastic. Plastic will keep the heat from coming oh, okay. out of the ground into the pot. Which is what you want. Which is what you want. <laughs> so and, when you uh, say you can plant anything into the ground, anything that's zone three and, yeah. and, and yeah. lower. Yeah, sorry, yes. yes. Anything that's hardy that you have in the pot that you want to keep till next yeah. year, then you can put it into the ground. Otherwise, you have to, you have to bring your rate, Jill. You have to yeah. bring it inside if it's a zone four or, or up to zone nine. And same, same with your bulbs too. Like you have your canna lilies and calla lilies. Um, you want to wait until the frost kind of hits them, let them Mm -hmm. die back down a little bit. And then you can harvest that bulb under the soil, bring it in and store it, um, in a cold storage area for the winter and then plant it up again. But those bulbs, if you got things like cannas or callas and begonias and that, if the, if the top doesn't dry, die, die down, then when you lift them out, just make sure you leave the tops attached. Okay. Lay them on some paper and let them dry out so all the energy from the leaves go into the bulb exactly. and then you can cut the top off and then store them for winter time get a bit of that reset mm-hmm. yes um we have moni waiting on the line from prince albert good morning what's your question for rick and jill hi i planted it's called autumn blaze maple mm-hmm. uh it's in full sun i just planted it this year um and i've noticed like while most of the trees seems healthy the upper leaves are starting to curl and like they, they almost prematurely turned red Okay, so if the premature turn red, there's two things that could happen in the curl. One is aphids, because uh, a- maples okay. like aphids. Okay, so you can you can get up there and just check if you want to see if there's any aphids in the, underneath the curled leaves, and then you could just treat them with andol or or ambush, you know, um, or it's called bug. I, could, I can't hear you. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, can you hear this now? No, you're not coming through very oh. well. Just a minute. Can you hear me? I'll try to take you off speaker. Um, how's how's that now? A little better, yep. Okay, so you can check for aphids. You can use Endol or Bug X, which is a pyrethrin, if it's an aphid. But also, you got to watch because you, when did you plant it? Um, probably mid May. Mid May. Okay, yep. so they should be rooted out yet. But with this heat, even I had some maples in my yard that started to turn yellow, and they weren't mm-hmm. ones that turned red. They were just they just they're silver maples, so they just turned yellow. And mm-hmm. it was because there was a couple I didn't get the water to, and they started drying. And so the okay. best way to do is take a piece of, I always tell people, take a piece of 3 eighths rebar, poke it down to the bottom of the planting hole, and also poke it into the middle of that root ball. And just check both places and see if it's wet. Because if it's not wet, uh, what happens is that root ball will dry out because the leaves will suck the moisture out of it. And mm-hmm. it takes quite a bit to rehydrate it. So you got to put the hose out there and just let it dribble. And just let it dribble for about a half an hour. And uh, just at, right at the trunk of the tree, and just, mm-hmm. like I said, just a dribble so that you're just wetting the root ball and not the soil around it. And mm-hmm. then you'll rehydrate it. But you got to remember, once we started getting in the first week of September, the autumn blaze, you want to slow down on the watering anyways. You want it to turn red, okay? 
Okay. Which is a good thing because otherwise, if it goes into wintertime green, it will you'll you'll have some tip kill. You'll lose some tips of the plant. Okay. So if it isn't aphids, is there a possibility there's some kind of a fungus or something no, on it? Because no. it's been actually doing this. I've been ignoring it. I've been at the lake back and forth, yep. but it's been like this for a while. Yeah, it's either aphids or drought or dry. It, it's well, a, it's okay. a, it's the two things. Will it die? Nope. Nope, it'll be fine. Just gotta you okay. just gotta do the rebar check and check the soil. That's very important. Uh, mm-hmm. The aphids is not a big deal. I mean, they'll suck the. They may you may lose some of the leaves, but it'll come back again next year. It would have set it would have set new buds. But the drought is more worse than the aphids. Okay. And all the trees around it. I've got other shrubs. They're all perfectly healthy. Yep. Yeah, that's because you got a new plant, right? So it's okay. trying to establish its root system. Yeah. And so you just got to make sure that root ball that that it came in the pot. You know. When you planted it, you got to make yeah. sure it stays moist. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more of your questions. Uh, we'll start off with Russ in the Lake Lenore area. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendijk. If you have any questions for us, you can give us a call at 1-877-332-8255. Russ has been waiting patiently on the line for us, so we won't make them wait any longer. Good morning, Russ. What's your question? Uh, good morning. Uh, my question is about uh, using diatomaceous uh, earth, earth yep. um, as, as fly control on an acreage. Um, a friend of mine has livestock, and he used a spin spreader, and his like he had livestock, so he had he had uh, fly problems this year with all the moisture and and the other stuff that goes along with the livestock. And uh, my question is, um, I know it will kill the flies. Yep. <laughs> is it going to kill uh, my ground bees? And other bees in my yard? Anything that crawls through it. Okay. Anything that crawls through it. Because what it does is it basically, it's like crushed up seashells. You see what it is, right? And so what happens, it gets into all, like insects have all these little tiny joints and everything else. So this diatomaceous gets into their joints and it basically dehydrates them. Okay. So I'd be just as well to use malathion and kill my bees and be done with it. Well, I mean, I don't want to kill my bees. No, no, you don't want to kill your bees. <laughs> yeah, you have to be very selective where you want to put it. So you want to, if you've got ground bees in that, yeah, you don't want to be just doing a, just an yeah. overall broadcast, you know. Yeah. Only, be yeah. get, only be hitting the spots where you've got a problem rather than just everywhere. And uh, right. th- and that's hard to do when you've got so many flies, right? So that's otherwise you just put fly traps up. And yeah. um, but uh, well, We're doing that, but... I don't know how many of those bags you can have hanging around. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I got a few of them hanging around my place too. And, yeah, and no, that that was. Uh, so yeah, it's going to kill any insect. I mean, I know it'll kill my aphids. Anything that crawl, anything that crawls through it, it's going to it's going to kill. Okay. Okay. No, that's perfect. Thank you very okay. much. You're Thanks welcome. for your call. Yeah. All right, we have Brian in Saskatoon on the line. Good morning, Brian. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Well, I'm a 30-year gardener. I learn a little bit more as time goes on, especially thanks to you guys. But uh, the first year I ever experienced this problem, um, some of my cucumbers got a probably a quarter to half inch uh, hole, like they're hollow in the middle. Yep. And uh, I'm watering the heck out of them, especially when it's uh, hot like this. 
uh, what could be the problem, and a follow-up question, would it still be okay to eat them? Yeah, I'm still okay to eat them. It's just, just from, just from it's, it's tough, but it's, it's called inconsistent watering. But it's really hard, especially this year, because the moisture has been off and on. The heat's been off and on. You've been watering. Sometimes you had to water three times a day to keep things moist, and sometimes you got the, got the soil wet and you got to dry. Um, when you get those kind of deformations, it's all from n- nine times out of ten. It sometimes it's fungal and stuff like that, but nine times out of ten, it's it's just the the inconsistent watering, and inconsistent watering like this year has been, it's been tough even for the most avid gardener. Yeah, <laughs> with it being wet and then going so hot, so dry, that yeah. seed formation in the middle of the cucumber is not able to form, yeah. and that's why you get that hole. And, and then the biggest one, especially with cucumbers, is is. Don't water. A lot of people say when it's so hot, I want to water like at nine o'clock or ten o'clock at night mm-hmm. when the sun's down, right? And that's a big mistake too, because that's when you will get the fungals and those and powder mildews and those kind of things. So, uh, and then because they, they just stay moist for too much longer, your best time to water, especially cucumbers, pumpkins, squashes, melons, those kind of things, is in in the morning, just when the sun's popping up, or or just out before the sun gets too hot. And so it dries off the leaves because if you actually do it in the middle of the day, what happens, you get all these droplets of water on the leaves and they act like magnifying glass oh, and they actually burn yeah. holes in, into the leaves mm-hmm. as well. So there's a there's a, a good time to do it. And then in, in the evening, if you have the water in the evening, do it around um, supper time type of thing. Okay. And then that way the leaves have time to dry off before there's so the water won't sit on the leaves uh, all, all night long. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Good luck guarding. All right, we have a few texts that we can get to here before we take our news break. Don't forget, you can call or text us. It's all one number, one 332 8255 All right, we'll go to Glenn in the Osler area. Um, I would like to know if I can plant Stella Stella Deora lily plants at this time of year, or is it best to get some bulbs and plant them in the fall? I'm looking for something a little smaller to go in the front flower bed, rather than giant daylilies that I have right now. The Stelladora is a perfect daylily. They bloom all summer long, and they are a dwarf daylily. You can definitely plant them right now. Um, if you're transplanting them, just try and get a nice-sized root ball and transplant it out if you're separating a plant or something like that. Just to wait until the heat goes by yeah, another week or so. That's best <laughs> to do maybe in the fall or in the early spring to yeah. separate them. But if you had to separate them, you still could do it, mm-hmm. um, just not on a really hot day. But definitely you can get those um, Stelladoras from any garden center right now and uh, go ahead and plant them a great plant to add to yep. any companion planting. One thing nice about Stella's or another one's called Pardon Me is that uh, they're the they're the daylilies that bloom all continue blooming all summer long. Okay. Rebloomers. We're, they're the rebloomers. We're small a lot of the daylilies will bloom for you know the month of July mm-hmm. or whatever. But Stella's and part yellow is Stella's. Pardon me is more of an orangey red and they'll bloom continually all summer. Okay. Um, this one is about succulents. Uh, some of my succulents have grown too tall, so I'm cutting them off and sticking them back in the dirt. My fire sticks give off a white liquid at the cut area. Do I just wait for that to stop before I repot, or is there something else that I need to be doing? Yeah, so with your succulents, um, you want to cut them off, and then I usually lay them out on a countertop, windowsill, or even on the top of the soil, and you want that end piece to callus over mm-hmm. before you stick it into the soil. That will be really important. Okay. And then stick it back in there. Now, um, you will also notice that if you take a leaf off, if you maybe lose some leaves, you can even just lay the leaves of a succulent on a 
on the top of the soil, they'll actually get little baby succulents on there. Once they start getting roots, you can take those off and plant them too. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of variety. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many different ways you can um, do production on succulents. Um, this one is coming from Christine in Pilot Butte. What are your thoughts on fertilizer inject- injectors for lawns and trees? Um, fertilizing, uh, if you can do it, that's water soluble. You're basically injecting water into your thing. Now, one thing you got to make sure that you do if you're ever going to put an injector on, you have to get yourself, first of all, uh, a backwater valve, which you have to put on your, on your system between your domestic water and your injector, okay? Because okay. if it ever happens, you you turn off your water or something like that, water gets sucked back into your house. Oh, yeah. Not a good thing, okay? No. So you, you by law, you have to have a, a very good, not just this little cheap the ones you put on the end of your hose. Mm-hmm. You have to have, a, if you have an injector, you have to put on a good uh, backwater valve. So usually ones that have an air gap to them. So, um, and then the biggest thing is is make sure that you're testing your fertilizer, just uh, testing your par- parts per million, your PPM, um, and then also testing your pH levels as well in your water, and just making sure that that is is accurate and consistent. Most people that use injectors are like greenhouses and nurseries and that kind of stuff. So you don't see too often. Uh, people that are using because you're in in a, in, a, in a home because you're planting in the ground. Mm-hmm. Where you use injectors more often is if you're planting containers where you want a constant feed. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, but uh, in the ground you don't need a constant feed. In fact, if you constant feed in the ground, you probably build up salts too much. Yeah, and so that wouldn't be good for your plants either. Yeah, so but yeah. if you have like a drip line system going to your garden or to your your flowering plants, that's when an injector yep. comes in really handy. Yep. So it's definitely good for certain things. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, one more before we go to uh, our news break here. Uh, we have a cabin and we're thinking of planting some extra spruce trees. It's sandy soil. Wondering if fall or spring would be the best time to do this. Um, sandy soil, spruce trees, you can start uh, once the tr- once the spruce trees basically put on their terminal buds, which is the buds for next year. Okay. Uh, usually that's around September 1st. Some of them have done it already, but it's just too hot to be transplanted right now. So as soon as the temperature changes a bit here, you can start, and I always say in the first week of September, then you can start transplanting conifers, which is spruces and pines and those kind of things. And just make sure that you get them watered in really well as soon as you transplant them. Is there any types that would be kind of best for sandy soil? Uh, pines, pines love sandy soil. So scotch pine, Swiss stone pine, um, yeah, ponderosa pine, any of those like, uh, but, but the spruces like Colorado spruce, uh, black hill spruce, um, yeah, all those ones will be fine in the sand. I, I grew my last acres I had, it was pure sand, 70 feet down and I grew all of them. Like, so it's, yeah. You had beautiful, big blue spruce. Oh yeah. It's just, yard. just great. And just a matter of it's water. Yeah. Key is water. If you got sand, you just need water. <laughs> and, and I had, I had put water on those plants constantly. So it's better, best to put a drip drip system in if you're going to plant those kind of things because keeping up with a tank when you have sandy soil yeah. is real tough. Been there, done that. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's <laughs> <Yeah>. a way. <laughs> we will take a quick break for news, but don't forget you can give us a call or text anytime at one 332 8255 You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyke from Dutch Growers. 
You can give us a call or text at one 332 8255 We've had Cindy waiting on the line for us uh, for the last few minutes here, so we won't make them wait any longer. Cindy, good morning. What's your question for Rick and Jill? I have a question about birch trees. In the city, we had a beautiful birch that we bought from you folks 45 years ago, and um, it was a weeping birch, and it got the birch bud borer disease and died. Now, out of town, around Lane Lake area, we have four clump birches in our yard, and we thought they weren't going to be um, affected, but they are. They're dying from the tops, we've noticed, last year and this year. So we're just kind of at within. We don't know what to do. We want something that uh, will be fast growing, but still have sort of an open canopy and not be affected by uh, by uh, any type of borer. We're just uh, looking for some info on what you might suggest. We are close to the water table, so um, you dig down a couple feet, about four feet, and we're into water. Okay. Well, then a perfect tree for that if you're that close to the water is is a, a called a prairie horizon alder. Nice okay. big, nice big canopy tree. Loves the loves the moisture because uh, they normally grow grow at the edge of a swamp, right? That's where they okay. normally grow. Um, nice big shady tree. I planted some in in a bunch of sites where water was an issue and they're just thriving great and uh, so just a matter of the biggest thing though is you do just don't want to when you first plant them you don't want that when they come in a pot you just don't want that root ball to be sitting in the water at the bottom of the hole right so you might have to raise up the soil a little bit in that area just to make sure because once they get the root system out into the soil they're fine but you just don't want them until for that first year until the root system gets out they can still drown if you if the if the bottom of the root ball is sitting in the water okay okay so they may just have to build what i call a pitcher's mound sometimes is this some yep. soil up about two two or three inches taller than your regular soil and you plant yep. to the top of that and that's usually enough to get it out of the water okay if that's a problem all right now do they uh when they break leaves in the spring yep do they have that sticky sap? Uh, no, they're not too bad, these ones here. They, they're not a sappy tree because I even planted one in a parking lot uh, where all the drains go through and we're not having a problem there with sticky sap at all. So the, oh, other, okay. the other tree I was going to think about is a maple, but you do get sticky sap with a maple, right? So um, now you do get these little tiny seeds like your, you know how your birch had those seeds on them? Yes. Uh, then alder is almost like the family of a birch, okay? So you would still get those type of little seeds on them, like your birch tree did, except they're shorter. Uh, okay. But but it will do fine in that type of location. Either that or you go to a willow, but, I mean, willows self-prune, they're a little more messy, right? And they sucker. And No, they don't tend to sucker, willows, uh, no? but they do have w- roots that, that stay right close to the surface, so they do tend to push out of the soil. Okay. Okay. All right. I kind of wanted the uh, the maple, the um, the color of the maple. Yep. So n- no maple, sh- they're, they're all kind of uh, sappy, are they? Yeah, and the problem with the maples, the ones that have the, the only one that you may be able to put there is one that's called Amur maple, okay? okay. Or, or another one is called Hot Wings maple. That would be the only two that you would have success with, and uh, you might want to plant them a bit smaller if it's that have a water table and let, them grow okay. into, and let them grow into their area rather than getting a big tree right to start with. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's two trees then, and yep. 
I will look and see, or do you, can you tell me where that uh, Prairie Horizon Alder is located in Saskatoon or not? Yeah, you can, most garden centers are handling them now. Uh, we have them at our garden center, uh, just because it, so many yards, and even in the city, have, especially some of the new areas, are just a heavy, heavy clay, and, and they just do very well. And okay. um, But other than that, yeah, most garden centers are handling them now because they're becoming a more of a popular tree because of the of the of the moisture they love the moisture okay okay i will definitely give that a try okay okay thank you very much you're welcome all right, we have a few uh, texts that we can get to. If you have any questions, feel free to give us a call. one 332 Uh This one coming from the Regina area. Should I be fertilizing the lilies for next year's bloom? If so, what type should I use and when? Uh, usually you don't want to be fertilizing your um, your lilies right now. Uh, what I usually do is let them go dormant, let them die back down into the bulb. Okay. And then next spring, you'll want to maybe put some bone meal or something like that in with the hole, and then that will be sufficient fertilizer for next year. All right, perfect. Easy enough. <laughs> uh, this one is from Doug in the uh, sort of Melfort area. I have woody protrusions growing in my lawn. There are no roots attached, but they're very hard. Do you know what this could be? It's a, it's a type of a fungal. I'm just trying to remember what it's called now. Um, I looked it up earlier this summer because someone had the same thing. As oh, this. Okay. It looks like a little, almost like a little cow pie. Type oh, of weird. It's sitting in the, in the gut, and it, it's a fungal. Basically, okay. it's a fungal. It's, it's, it's hard, and it's usually, you know, like about put your two hands together and where your fingers is touching sometimes it's well not big okay and or can get like that a, big almost like those knots in trees like kind it, of. almost like those knots in trees and so it's a fungal and uh the best thing to do is just just dig it out and but it does keep coming back and so the best thing to do with that is just that they're usually usually they're there because of they're growing on some kind of um Usually, got lots of thatch in your yard. Lots of thatch in the lawn, or an old root from a tree, okay. or or a root from you know long root out, uh, or two by four from construction or yeah. piece of plywood, whatever. It could be a lot of things. It's something organic that is feeding on, and so basically, is that uh, keeping your lawn uh, fertilized, aerated, water those areas. Could you put compost accelerator in those areas? Exactly. Anytime you have fungals, using a compost accelerator, it just puts in the bacteria into the soil to help break down what those fungals are feeding on, and that's the key: is getting rid of its food. Right? Almost so, like when you have mushrooms popping up. Yeah, exactly. or maybe there used to be an old tree there and there's still some roots and logs underneath the soil. Mm-hmm. So they might be growing on that as well. Yeah, and that's why the compost accelerator will help break that down quicker and then you get rid of your, get rid of the food source of what the fungal's growing on. All right. Um, we have a question from Trish in Saskatoon. I have miniature lilacs that uh, are no longer miniature. <laughs> Can I cut them back? How much and when? Okay, so the lilacs, best to do a, just a light pruning after they bloom every year. Okay. Because okay. then they put up new growth, you fertilize them, they put up new growth, and they bloom on the old wood that grew this year, they grew on that wood next year. Okay. okay? So um, if you do a major pruning, if they got totally out of hand, do it when the plant is dormant. Okay. But you'll miss a year. You'll still have some blooms, mm-hmm. but a lot of those blooms that are right filled right to the tips, you'll lose some of those. Okay. Um, so, but that that's a choice. I mean, that, so if you y- don't want to lose the blooms, do it right after the finished blooming. Right after the finished blooming and keep them. So what I suggest you do now, if it's way higher than what you want, cut them back to where you need them to be. Okay. Next year you have fewer blooms. And then every year after that, uh, then you just do a little trimming. Like next year, what I would do then is I trim them this fall. Mm-hmm. 
They're going to put a little growth on in the spring. And when the other lilacs quit blooming, give them another light pruning again, fertilize them, let them grow, and then they'll bloom on that new wood like crazy the next year. Okay. So a bit of a, a work in progress yep. for a year or so. Give them a break for <laughs> a year. A break. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you have any questions or need some tips from Rick or Jill, you can give us a call at one 332 8255 We're going to take a quick break and be back with more Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyke from Dutch Growers. If you have a call or need some tips, you can uh, just text or call us at one 332 8255 It is a beautiful day outside, and I think that's why more people are texting us. They might already be out in the garden this morning. Yep. <laughs> so we will uh, we'll go through some of your texts here. Um, this one coming from Chip in Regina. With fall just around the corner, do you have any general tips for pruning shrubs like dogwood, nine bark, spirea, and any tips for fall planting of perennial shrubs? Yeah, perennials, uh, the, first of all, we'll go with the pruning part. Basically, you can do light pruning of most shrubs all summer long. Okay. okay. Just some tip, like nine barks and dogwoods love to be trimmed. Just the, just the light trimming, just keep them, you know, groomed or uh, some people like them more open. Some people like them nice and tight. So you can prune them like a hedge, like type of thing, just light pruning. If you can do some major pruning, then just wait until the leaves start turning color in your yard and then you can do some major pruning so you're talking about october basically okay. right and september beginning of october and with your perennials um it just depends on on how much snow you have in the area so mm-hmm. if you have a lot of snow in your area i usually will keep um i usually will cut my perennials down right to the ground level after they've sort of turned yellow and gone a little bit limp so that's what you want to do with your perennials in the fall um you want to not decrease your watering and not fertilize past about August 15th. Um, for your perennials, you want them to start shutting down for the winter. Uh, but if you have areas where the wind's blowing through and you're not getting as much snow, leave those branches up on your perennials and cut them down in the spring. Okay. That will just give them extra um, areas for the snow to catch on so that you have um, some more insulators for them. And also, if you do want to plant, transplant or plant new perennials in the fall, mm-hmm. just make sure that you, for, in the fall, just mulch them heavy for the first for the first uh, winter. Okay. Uh, that way, because they don't have a root system established, but that mulch will just protect them for the first winter and then they'll be fine every year after that. And always when you're transplanting, I like to use the product called Mike, M-Y-K-E, and it's a mycorrhizome that attaches to the roots. So you might not be fertilizing when you're transplanting, but yeah. using that Mike's going to help them soak up more um, nutrients and it will get those roots, almost puts warts on their roots um, okay. when they're going. So it gets them established quicker, which will help them survive the winter. And also throwing a little bit of bone meal with that is, is, will give them the other nutrients as well to yeah. be able to, because then the mics will grab the nutrients from the bone meal and give it to the plant quicker. Mm-hmm. Just a few extra yep. extra treats. Extra yep. <laughs> treats for the fall planting. Yep. All right. We have uh, Rosanda from the Estevan area. We have a couple of roses that are getting quite leggy and not producing flowers. Should we prune them? Yeah, absolutely. Most roses um, uh, want love to be pruned. So I like pruning my roses in the spring. Okay. Early spring. Uh, there's only a couple of roses which I won't prune in the spring. I'll prune right for the finished blooming, like Teresa Bugni and Persian Yellow Rose. Those are two that will bloom just like lilacs. They'll bloom on their on their second year wood. So you you want to or another one is hazel dean as well. Those are old varieties of, of roses. But all the these so prune them in the in the right after they finish blooming. But most most roses like the Parkland series, Explorers, the Artisan series. Um, so all those new series of roses which continually bloom all summer. 
I like pruning them in the spring as soon as the snow disappears. And we're taking about a third off. Take about a third off. I've taken up to a half, but a third because, and then fertilize them starting around May the 10th because they'll, you want to force a lot of growth. And then starting about in the end, middle to end of June, they'll just bloom like, like a crazy. thirty ten ten fertilizer in the 30, spring. Thirty ten ten twenty 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 any of those kind of things. A little bit of organic fertilizer too, because the one thing the organics do is that the other thirty ten ten and twenty 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 they don't have any micronutrients in it. So looking for a kelp, those types of things. Kelps, magnesium, there. boron, you know, all those kind of things. Um, calcium that'll just make the plants even bloom more as well. So and be more more vibrant. All right. Um, we have a question from Robin, um, also roses. Uh, we have a grafted rose bush in our flower garden, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if I could bring that in for winter and if it would survive. What should I do? So a tea rose or hybrid hybrid rose. So what you can do, two things you do is one, if it's grafted, hers is probably up in a tree. So it has a stem and then a top on the top. So those ones there... You got two ways you can do it. You have to either bring it in, okay, and put it in a pot and just put it in your garage. It still needs to go dormant, though. So. Still needs to go dormant. So wait until the leaves fall off. Just like I don't want the roots to freeze, but mm-hmm. I want the top to, to the leaves come off, and then okay. bring it indoors. That'll make it go dormant. Put it in a spot where you can just water it every once in a while, maybe once a month type of thing mm-hmm. in the garage, because uh, you don't want it to go down below minus ten. Because it goes down below minus ten, it won't make it. Okay. okay. Otherwise, some one guy I know in Regina, he used to phone me up all the time, and he said what he did is he had he had his tea rose and it was an upright tea rose, and he had the roots cut on one side, so he grew the roots straight from his young out one direction. Oh, okay. So every year he used to just take his shovel and just cut this down, and then he used to lay the plant down sideways, right flat. He dig a grave for it. He <laughs> dig a bit of a grave for it, and then he put plastic over top of it and a whole bunch of leaves and everything over top. And then he, so then he, he, and then in the spring, he would just take all that off, stand it back up again, stake it, and then he'd have it there again every year. So, he so did a, if you're going to be doing that, yeah. you would want that graft to be sitting about a foot underneath the soil. Yeah. Um, okay. And then that would, that would protect it from freeze thaw, freeze thaw. Yeah. So whether, what I would usually do is lay that plant down into the soil. A lot of times we'll take my grafted plant and I'll take the pot and I'll plant the pot itself right into the soil. Okay. So that in the fall, I can just pull that pot out, dig my grave, lay it down sideways and and then put some burlap over it so maybe it's easier to get out in the spring. Yeah. And then pile some soil and some mulch on top of it that way. But the easiest way, leave it in the pot, put it in the garage, where it's, as mm-hmm. long as you've got a slightly heated garage, a lot of people will keep the garage around zero. Mm-hmm. That's perfect for them to stay there all winter. All right. Um, we have a question from Bev in Swift Current. What causes uh, cucumbers to form in a ball? Cucumbers to yeah. form in a ball. <laughs> Usually we will see um, yeah. things for environmental. So okay. inconsistent watering, um, is a really hot, dry environment will yeah. do that. Um, so usually you're seeing in the formation after pollination, um, it, it, it went through like either a drought period or something like that, which doesn't help with the formation of the, the fruit. Okay. And then you start seeing abnormal fruit sizes. And, and, and not good pollination as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, not good bee, good bees and they don't do a good pollination. When they just mm-hmm. get a little partial pollination, you'll get weird-looking fruit as well. We've been hearing a lot of that this summer, just sort of yep. weird or different-looking vegetables and fruit kind of yep. producing just the not quite the way they usually are. I think yep. that's because we were so, so wet at the beginning yeah. of the season, and yep. then we went to a hot, dry hot. season. So that consistency is so key when you're vegetable gardening mm-hmm. and uh, so when we have it environmentalized where it's hard to keep that consistency yeah. everybody's going to see it across the board and one thing you need to do is companion planting 
plant plants that will attract other bees and other insects. So put some flowers, even like marigolds, other kinds of things. Nasturtiums, pansies, pansies anything that will that will attract other bees to pu- make your pollination. And then even uh, leaf cutter bees. Mm-hmm. You can buy leaf cutter bees and set up some homes in your yard so they'll, they'll, they'll go like crazy. We had that great way uh, right in our own backyard. We had the best Saskatoons in the whole area around our place because my neighbor has two beehives. And <laughs> just the, worked out perfectly. <laughs> just, I mean, we had the great pollination. So we had the most and biggest uh, uh, Saskatoons in the whole area. And I attribute that all to the beehives. So, I mean, yeah, attracting bees, putting in um, companion plantings, um, both for attracting insects and deterring insects. So you mm-hmm. can do both at the same time. And um, like we talked about the potato beetles, planting yes. onions in between your potatoes. Mm-hmm. You're going to plant onions anyway, so plant it between your potatoes, and that'll help keep the potato beetle away. So there's lots of things you can do. Think about companion planting, do a little bit of research on that, and then you'll have a lot better fruit as well. All right, perfect. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more Garden Talk. You can give us a call or text through the break. The phone number is the same, one 332 8255 You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke from Dutch Growers. If you have a question or need a few tips, you can give us a call. The number is 1-877-332-8255. Teresa's been waiting patiently on the line for us, so we won't make uh, won't make her wait anymore. Teresa, what's your question for Rick and Jill this morning? Ah, I have six uh, humongous spruce trees. They're almost 40 years old. Um, the top of one of them broke off in the wind, and um, I'm wondering... Would it be wise to just cut them all back so that they won't damage anybody's house or something like it's I live in town, and of course the neighbors could I could yeah, you, land on their house or something, and so I'm wondering or what do you do with those monsters anymore yeah the the biggest thing to do with them is keep them healthy. Uh, because you don't need to cut the top off, really, because all you get, you see, the only reason they've been snapping off a lot of them, and, and it happened right out in front of the station yeah. here. There's a big pile of, of, of acorns at the bottom. They just got so many acorns that they just were so heavy that they just, the top just broke off. And it was only the top about four or five feet that broke off of most of them. And there's mm-hmm. other ones around that are just bent right over because they've just got so much weight. Uh, because those acorns are just take so much sap and they're just so heavy and wet. Mm-hmm. And so, oh. but if you keep the trees healthy, they won't go into seed every year. Okay. So, oh, well, so, my, so, sorry, but my, they're not, they're, they have a lot of dead branches on. I have not been looking after them properly, okay. I'm sure. And there are a lot of uh, dry, like the needles, there's branches that are dry. Yeah. So those can be trimmed off. Any needles, any branches that are dried, you can trim those off. Other than that, what you need to start doing at least once a month during the summertime, and what you can do right now, is just put the hose, uh, get a, get yourself a, uh, like a um, uh, soaker hose. Soaker hose. And put it on the drip line of the tree, mm-hmm. and even put it upside down, right? And just turn the hose on just a little bit, and just let it dribble there for, if, if the th- that big of a tree, let it dribble there for about four hours. Okay. Oh well, I actually have been doing that. I thought it's t- you know before the winter comes, 
Yep. I didn't do them four hours, but I had them maybe three at the most. Yep. Um, the three's even good, but if you do that in the middle of summertime, especially, then they can, then then it won't put them into stress where they won't because you know you think of a hot day of thirty degrees out. Yeah. And you're sitting out there, you're sweating, and so are they. And mm-hmm. so if they have the moisture, then they won't go into stress, and they won't come. They, then you won't get the t- the problem where they'll break off the top. Okay. So don't just do that in the fall. Do that once a month. Once a month. Starting in May. Starting in May, just do it once. So now it's too late. Nope, I mean, now nope. I don't now do you, them anymore. Now you still want to do it now because we're still oh. 30 degree weather, right? So we want to set it up. Once we get in, in, in middle of September, then I want to slow down, okay? But right now I want to give it a good drink right now. So go around and give all those a really good drink. Uh, you can trim the tops off. I mean, but what happens is you're going to want to put up two liters after that, okay? You'll oh. want to put a new liter up. So then you have two liters. Then as you grow, go on, you'll have to keep going up there every, every maybe four or five years and trim them back down again, okay? Because oh. you just keep getting multiple liters if you, when you trim the top off. Oh, I thought maybe they only had one that took over. Nope. The, one, the other ones will try to make a, it'll, they'll try to make a new liter again, and they'll, they'll, you'll have multiple liters then. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, so I, did I have something else here? Um, oh. And what do you fertilize them with, and when? Just fertilize them in the spring with thirty ten ten. Mix. What is it at? Thirty ten oh, ten. Thirty ten ten. Yeah, and then uh, for those big trees, at least ten gallons of water mixed with that around the drip end of each tree, ten gallons. Ten gallons. Yep. Of water. And right around the, the base of the tree. No, nope, the drip line of the tree. The drip. The fertilizer goes on the drip too, also. Yeah, absolutely. That's where all the feeder roots are. Okay. Um, the, 11, what did I write here now? The 30 in spring, okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks okay. Lisa. Bye. All right, we have Dave in Kipling. Good morning, Dave. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Uh, good morning. i got a couple quick questions for you guys. Uh, sure. First of all, have you ever heard of planting corn, uh, sweet corn, and getting three to four stalks per seed and one to two cobs per stalk? Yeah, per per seed. Yeah, you don't normally see that many per seed, but I mean, it all depends on the genetics of that seed and how they grew. But normally, you only get one stalk per seed, right? Yeah. Getting yep, getting two or three cobs is not not uncommon, but I mean, it's it's the cobs are already. But usually, you don't get that many do many stems. But uh, no, um, I've never seen that before. Yeah. And we just picked some last night, and I'm afraid what's maybe happening is that there's little bit going into all of them instead of a bunch going into one or two so and they're smaller and they're smaller or not um, quite filled they're smaller they're not matured enough yep. or whatever yep. there's a bit of sweetness to them so we're going to leave them for a little bit so the best thing, to, best thing to do is when they're young when they do that thin them mm-hmm. thin them thin i them like out. what you would yep. do with carrots yeah okay and the other thing is tomatoes our tomatoes are coming on uh they're not ripening yet but they're not getting full sun now because we've got sunflowers on one side that are kind of shading them out and yep. and and, you know, as the sun goes to the west, we've got some trees there, so they're not getting that full exposure. Is there anything we can kind of do to hopefully salvage some red tomatoes? No, just best thing to do, as soon as your sunflowers have, have headed out and are good, cut them down so they get more sun to them, right? Okay. Um, that's about all you can do. The trees, you can't do much to because the, that's what they are. Next year, you just got to plant them in a, in a different location where they'll get sun during the, during the summertime. Okay. Otherwise, they will ripen. Even if they're green, you might have to bring the tomatoes in and ripen them inside. They won't be a vine-ripe tomato, but, I mean, you still have tomatoes, though. 
And then just remember to watch your watering. Uh, make sure it stays consistent so now that you're not getting as much sun there, you may not have to water as often. Okay, that's great. And one other thing. If you guys know anybody that wants zucchini, let us know. <laughs> You'll start putting them in people's cars at night, right? Don't leave your car unlocked. <laughs> right. Thank you. You're Thanks, welcome. Dave. Say bye. All right, we have a couple texts that we can get to here. Um, this one from Dave in Swift Current. I have thousands of little black flying insects on cabbages and Brussels sprouts. We've used malathion, pyrethrin, and insecticidal soap a number of times, but they keep coming back. Yeah. What do you suggest? Yeah, that, that sounds like the uh, flea beetle. Okay. That they have. Flea beetle or black aphid. Yeah, either one of them. Um, so best thing to do is at, their, at this point right now, put a crop cover over top of them. So what it is, it's a white fabric, which looks like landscape fabric, only okay. it's white and it's very thin. It's not, so it helps for your plants for two things, keep the insects off of them. And also if you're trying to finish off, just like the last caller I called about his tomatoes not yeah. finishing up, you can use it to cover your tomatoes to help the nighttime temperatures so that they'll keep it warmer and they'll actually ripen quicker that way as well. So you can use, get the whole, get yourself some, it's called insect and frost protection. Okay. And then you put them over top and then, then now, cause it lets the light come through. So they'll still help your plant mature, but it'll keep the insects off. Okay. If you have insects on there, should you do maybe like one round of something to yeah. get rid of them before you put you on the cover? You can use insecticidal soap, you know, anything, because you got to be careful because it's yeah. food you're going to eat, right? Yes. So you have to use something that, that you, that is safe to use. And so that's why if you end up using something like ambush, read the instructions always on anything you use, because mm -hmm. it'll tell you how many days before harvest for all the different vegetables. Okay. Some are only one day, some are seven days, some are 14 days. And you can so look that up right online. You can look it online or it comes with the instructions with the, with the, Otherwise, just use an insecticidal soap. Uh, usually, that's one day before harvest. All pretty much all the insecticidal soaps, or just wash them wa off of water, okay. and then putting your crop cover on. And if you're bringing your plants into harvest, one of the things that Grandma used to do is she used to bring her cabbage inside, fill the sink up with water, and actually put a little bit of salt water in there. Oh, okay, and then put, soak her her vegetables in there, and that would draw all, all of the insects, the insects okay. out as well. Yep. All right. Um, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll get to Paul, who's uh, waiting on the line for us. You can give us a call at one 332 8255 This is Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke from Dutch Growers. If you have a question or need a few tips for your garden, you can give us a call at 1-877-332-8255. Paul is waiting on the line in Saskatoon. Good morning, Paul. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Good morning. Well, I neglected my lawn this year. It happens. I, uh, I have my own well here. It's not in an aquifer or anything like that, so... Kind of like a sand point, and you, I was you're, in your, you're in your greenhouse too much, Paul. You know, not yeah, taking care of the lawn. I fill up my barrels and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, they're 55 gallon barrels. Yep. And uh, you know, I put the the sprinkler on the apple trees. Yep. And uh, I was afraid of running out of water. Yep. So I neglected my lawn, and now I have a lot of weeds. Weeds just love this weather for yep. some strange reason. Yep, they love a, a, a stressed lawn. They love weeds. Weeds, yeah. I mean, the, the weeds love it, and so do ants. Yeah, and I've got both. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at planting in the fall seed, yep. you know. Um, now, what do I do with these weeds? Do I have to nuke these weeds, or do I pull them? 
uh, you can you can nuke them with a, even a, like an iron-based herbicide, which is more of a safer type of one, okay, or you can use 2,4-D as well, like a Kalex or something like that. That'll just help knock them down, especially we are worried about your, your annual weeds are all going to die. It's your perennial weeds, okay? And so um, you want, may want to knock them down, and then you also have a chance if you're going to put new seed down, if you have some patches of quack grass or something like that, you can get rid of that too. It's a good time to spray them now. So that in the fall, when you go to plant your new grass, that you don't have these patches of quack grass around, right? Yeah. Because you can't really do it after you've seeded a new new grass into it. And then you then if you're gonna then you what you want to do is I would suggest is using more of a um, a more of a dryland type of a mix so that and what the dryland mixes do they have a little bit more fescues in them and some rise in them, so that what happens when you do ne- end up neglecting it because of the year you don't have much water, the grass will turn brown. But it's not a big deal for it because as soon as the water comes again, it rains or whatever, it just greens back up again. Whereas the, a lot of the Canada, the Kentucky Blues, if they get too drought, then they'll just die. Okay? Yeah, because I'm in sand. Like, yep. sand, sand soil. So. That's what I had, pure sand where I, out my acreage, and that's, I put a, actually, I went, because I did quite a big area. I got one that's called Western Parks from Early's in Saskatoon. Okay. And they also have a sports field mix. Um, both of those ones do very well where they they'll they just sort of die down when turn brown when this when there's no rain and and then green right back up again when it rain comes again so they're, they're great for a, a drought resistant type of a, of a grass which which can handle that you know wet dry type of situation like you have okay how was your saskatoons this, or your yeah your saskatoons yeah, well, they're done now, but I mean, uh, they were best crop ever this they year. They were awesome. Oh, I know <laughs> they were just huge and they're black. Huge. I just picked <laughs> pick thirty cups this this week. Oh, that's amazing! There you go. Yeah, great. I make liqueur. I make Ooh. liqueur. Oh, good. So <laughs> fully stocked. It's fully stocked. happy times with some friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your call. Thank you so much for your time, you Thanks, guys. Paul. Paul. Bye. All right, we have a text from Carol in Saskatoon. Uh, this seems like a pretty common uh, common issue right now. Um, she has some irises that she needs to move. Can she do that now, or should she wait? I would wait a little bit longer for the irises. I would wait for them to go dormant to move them. Okay. Um, I actually would prefer to move them in the spring. Okay. Um, because then they can get rooted in before we hit a hard winter again, too. So um, making sure that just right before, uh, when the frost comes out of the ground, that's the best time to, yep. to move them. If you have to move them because you're doing a renovation, putting a sidewalk in or something like that, do them when the leaves start turning color and all your other shrubs and that, and then mulch them heavy if you're going to do them in the fall. And some people will even harvest them if they're doing a move and store them in cold storage for the yep. winter and then okay. replant them again for the spring. Irises will be good storing too. They're yeah, they've tough. got nice bulbs on them. Yep. All right, so a bit, a, l- a little hardy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right, we have a question about uh, tomatoes. We bought a beefsteak tomato, took the seeds and planted them. They are four to five feet tall. Fruit is still firm, but not ripening. Will they ripen on the vine or should we bring them in the house? Um, I'd leave them on the vine as long as possible. Um, what you can get is a row cover, um, kind of like what Rick was talking about la- earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically a white sheet that will keep the frost off of them too. Um, another thing that you'll want to start doing as well is just doing a little bit of pruning on your plant too. You want it to stop putting as much energy into all these runners that are everywhere yeah. and more energy into the fruit itself that's growing. Make sure you're fertilizing often to get that nice plumping happening on your fruit um, and then uh, this heat should start having them ripen right away. 
right. as soon as you hear Aaron on the on the radio saying there's a risk of frost, <laughs> hopefully it won't be too soon. <laughs> as soon as you hear, hear her on this station saying there's going to be a risk of frost, then you can pick them and bring them inside or put your frost cover over top. Uh, but you know, a lot of times it's only the first couple. It's only a you know, the odd day or yeah. the odd night that you'll get that happening and then you'll go really warm again. September is usually a great month for, for a lot of temperatures. So just got to watch that nighttime temperature. That's all. Mm-hmm. All right. Hopefully still be good so for at least a week so and a half. So hopefully Aaron will give you good news for a while and everything will ripen on the vine. And Me too. My tomatoes year, need it too. Next year, do that pinching and pruning on those indeterminate varieties earlier on in the season and it will help put more energy into that fruit and not as much energy into the vines. Perfect. Uh, we have Marcel waiting on the line from Regina. Good morning. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Yes, I have uh, some towering poplars in my backyard about they're over 10 years. They're probably 15 years old, and I see now I've got sawdust at the base, and I, it looks like I've got some type of tree borer and yep. infestation. Yep. Infestation. Yeah, so all you can really do with that is once they're inside, they're really tough. So what you want to do is you want to get a, a product called Dr. Doom, and it's the farmyard concentrate one that's in a brown can, and it has a little red tube with it. It looks like a WD-40 can tube, you know, like a straw. And you sp- put put that into the holes and spray it, and you want to spray it uh, into the holes uh, probably about every four or five days for about three three times, and then keep filling those holes up. And then you'll if when they move around, that'll that'll get them. Okay, and uh, okay. and then keep your trees healthy. The ones that don't have this this the uh, sawdust, give them a good drink of water because the bugs only go after stressed trees. That's what they tend to do. They go after trees that are that that may be just a bit stressed from water or not enough food or whatever. That's what yeah. that's the first trees they'll go after. I mean, they will go after all of them, but they'll always go for the trees that are stressed first. And how high up do I have to go? Uh, you got to find every hole you can. They're the size of a ballpoint pen head, and they look like the shape of a D. Okay. And yeah. Usually, I see that. I and they're see usually that. right where the branches, usually in the crotch of a tree where the branches come out of the main trunk, it's usually close to that is where the where the holes are most times. But they're the shape okay. of a D and about the size of ballpoint penhead. Spray in every single hole. Okay. Okay. And that's with uh, Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom. It's a pyrethrin, so it comes from the chrysanthemum and affects the nervous system of the bug. And you just spray it into the holes, and that—that's the best way to get a, get rid of them. Okay. Okay. I will do that. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. All right, we have uh, Donna from Regina. Good morning, Donna. What's your question for Rick and Jill? I started some uh, small Saskatoon seedlings this spring, and I have a, a large city lot, and I'm wondering: should I be transplanting them out? of this small bed now to somewhere else in my yard. Yeah, just not when the heat right now. Wait till the wait until the leaves start turning color in the in September. Wait until at least get one or one or two frosts on them first. Okay? okay. And then you can move them. If you move them now, they'll be in trouble. Yeah. It's just too And they hot. like lots of light, right? Lots of light. The more sunlight, the bed and the more fruit. South or west okay. exposure is yep. best. Okay. But then, yeah, do it, this, there, do it this fall, just as soon as they get a couple frosts on the leaves, and then they'll be fine. Okay. And do they require any special fertilizer? Uh, just if you want to move them, right, move them, just put a, uh, what's called a root booster. It's a, it's root a, booster. it's a root booster, so it's like a 015 
Oh, no, sorry. I think it's a 515-5, I think it is. And it has an acid in it, uh, which helps uh, promote more, more root growth. So for those little ones, okay. it'll work really good. And just one application. Yep. What, right, only when you transplant. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Donna. You can give us a call or text with your questions anytime. one 332 8255 uh, we'll take one question and then we'll go uh, right to news real quick. <laughs> I planted an American cranberry last year. It did fine. Come spring, it was like a vertical line was drawn up the center and half was dead. The other side seems to be dying. Should I trim it or dig it out? It's funny that the American cranberries are really tough. So mm-hmm. um, just make sure you keep them moist because they like a, cranberries like to be in a little bit more moisture yeah. area. So keep them more moist. It may have just not just uh, had some transplant shock, but it'll come back. Just trim off all the dead wood, and it'll it'll come back. Start fertilizing uh, too late now, but next spring, fertilize every three weeks with a good 30-10-10 or 20-20-20. Any one of those ones, give them every three weeks from May uh, Mother's Day, May 5th, May 10th, mm-hmm. until around July 15th, you stop. And then you'll get lots of growth happening. One of my nine barks did it because I was throwing the snow off the side and it actually ended up breaking one of the branches oh. when I started doing some mm. looking and so then half the tree was yeah. was dead on the one side because actually it would broken and, and, at the base. And that oh. can happen with cranberries because a lot of times cranberries have this Y crotch, you know, like where two branches come mm-hmm. up and they split up and then they're easy when the snow goes on top and whatever, they're easy to split open. And so that's that, what happened that, to mine. So I just did some some creative pruning on it this, yeah. this spring to make it so it looked a little yeah. bit better. But the cranberries are pretty tough. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick news break. Then we'll be back with more Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Welcome back to Garden Talk. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyke. You can give us a call or text at one 332 8255 We have lots of texts that we can uh, go through here uh, while we wait for more calls. This one is coming from Susan in Saskatoon. I purchased a firelight hydrangea, or, yeah, hydrangea. Could it be planted on the south side of a flower bed in the bed? Uh, the bed's about four feet deep, and the plant can have as much space as it needs. Yeah, as long as it's not right up against the fence, because the reflection off the fence on the south side, the 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 actual flowers will turn brown in a hot time like this. Okay. So as long as you have a little bit of shade, and if you do, if if you do going to put it there, if you get an extended period with a hot long time, then you just might. Not to put your umbrella out. <laughs> Give it a bit of shade. I've, I've of had shade. with my yard. My yard's a south exposure. Yep. And um, because it was so hot, I had trouble keeping the hydrangeas alive in my okay. yard. Um, keeping them watered is really important. Yep. And like Rick said, while they're getting established, providing them with a little bit of shade, once they're established, they're really yep. going to be and, fine. And, and but, putting mulch on the base, yep. that's key too. Like we have some that we have that would do very well in the sun, like they're out along our driveway. And but they're wide open, so they don't have anything reflecting heat off of them. Okay. But then we put lots of mulch around them, and then it keeps some moisture in for them, and they do okay. All the ones near my house—that's exactly what you said. They yep. had the sun reflecting off the house, so those ones all died, but the other ones yep. did beautifully. Didn't. Yep. Hmm. Just depends on uh, where you put them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they're also curious what type of hydrangea could be planted on a north side. North side. Um, you might not get as many you, blooms on the new. Yeah, most of them will do side. well. Yeah, okay. most of them will do well. Just not as many blooms. All right, fair enough. Um, This is coming from uh, Margaret in the Saskatoon area. My pepper plants, jalapeno, poblano, and mad hatter, have not flowered. Is this from a lack of nutrients? They're in full hot sun. 
Yeah, could be. Could or be. lack of pollination too. Well, they haven't flowered though, so it's a matter of not getting the right. That's funny that they haven't flowered. Oh, I thought she meant not fruited. Okay. No, they had, didn't flower. So then, so what? Your nutrients is probably the big one. Okay. Okay. So a lot of your organic fertilizers have more of an organic type of phosphorus in it, and also also magnesium, and calcium, and those kind of things, which uh, especially jalapenos, peppers, tomatoes need to have calcium okay. to be to do well. And it also could be if they were planted really early in the season, if they got that the new growth got hit by frost, yep. then that they wouldn't flower at that point in time too. So okay. if they got that cold snap in the early, early yep. spring, that could eliminate any flower growth as well. Yep. Okay. Um this one coming from Darcy in North Battleford. Uh I have some young cottonwood trees that are really starting to take off in the last couple of years. They're 10 to 12 feet tall now, but the main branch got broken off um, by an unnamed rototiller operator. (laughs) Um, It is an ugly split, and I will probably have to trim the damaged branches off. Is there something I can put on the trunk to help seal it up for next year? Yeah, if... if let it dry first. It probably has dried yeah. since it's been rototilled a little while. Probably, yep. <laughs> it's been attacked. I call that. I call that. Um, um, yeah, it's it's called mechanical blight. Yes, <laughs> that's what I call <laughs> it. I like that. <laughs> so, anyways, um, uh, basically, you can use a pruning paint. Uh, clean up those areas so that they aren't going to hold water. Okay. Like sometimes they're scarred if you don't like that and they have little notches in the wood. So just take a utility knife or something like that or a chisel and just clean up so that the water runs off of those areas and then just seal them up with a pruning paint. It's an aerosol uh, pruning paint. It's for trees and shrubs and that kind of stuff. Works okay. good. Easy enough. Yep. Um, we have a text from Kelly in Elbow. I'm introducing uh, my baby girl Izzy to the wonderful world of gardening. I let her touch and feel plants, and she likes to put them in her mouth. Uh-huh. My question is, which plants should I never expose uh, my daughter to touch and uh, and not let her explore with her mouth? Well, it's really important with this that you're doing your research before you get your plants. So um, when you go to the garden centers, make sure you're asking them which plants are poisonous. Um, Plants that are extremely poisonous are things like datura, um, oleander. So there's some plants like that. But I would just, if you know what names of plants you have in your yard, send an email list in or you can go on the Poison Controls website. There's a lot. There's a lot of there's, them. There's there's quite a few of them. Um, some plants, some will say that they cause irritation, whereas some are like poisonous. Bad like news. <laughs> when my staff are working with datura, I'll say after you're finished working with it, make sure you wash your hands mm-hmm. um, before you even eat your lunch. So there's just different things or all all parts of the plant are poisonous. So mm-hmm. just really, really watch those things. Um, I find that it at a young age, it's good to start teaching your kids on on how to be around plants. And I know I did this with my kids too. And it was they'd be like, okay, you know what? Some plants are good to eat and some plants are not, but you never put anything in your mouth until you've asked somebody first. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting that into their mindset, they don't put the, the plants into their mouth. Um, plants are good to eat, but yeah. you don't do that unless you've asked somebody first. Probably not a good idea. Oh, she's, at the beginning of her text, she said, I'm int- teaching her about plants and that yeah. kind of stuff, the feeling and touching. Plants for a little child that can't determine, it's probably mm-hmm. not a good idea to teach them that, honestly, uh, because there just is... wait a little there, bit. Just wait a little bit so that you can teach them what's good and what's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that, that part, there is a lot of plants 
I mean, some of them you have to eat the whole plant before you're really going to get sick, right? Yeah. So, but, but like uh, if you're doing some organic gardening, like in a vegetable garden, mm-hmm. that's a great way to introduce a child into into gardening, yep. where you know that these plants are all edible and yep. those types of things, all so. herbs and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teach them in there, but not your regular house plants, because yeah. there's quite a few of them that that can depending. And people are different. Some people will be more susceptible and, and irritated by yeah. them than other than other other people. So, um, just be careful that way. The veggie patch might be the the spot to do it. Absolutely. All right. We have a call from Jean in Regina. Good morning, Jean. What's your question for Rick and Joe? My question is about a dragon wing begonia. I have a very large one that I purchased. It's in a hanging basket. Mm -hmm. Now it was blooming beautifully. Will it re-bloom again, or does it just bloom on the new growth? No, they'll bloom all summer long. So you can even just deadhead the old blooms off of it. And if you want to bring it inside for the winter, you can actually keep your dragonwing begonia in as a house plant for the winter season as well, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, just, I didn't know that. Just, okay. uh, just, just a so, bit away from the window, not right in the direct sunlight, but lots of bright light, but not right what? in the direct sunlight. Yeah, well, I have a east-facing window, but per- it perfect. it's kind of dabbled light because at the back of that, my yard is a very large green ash tree. Yep. So it sort of supplies dappled shade. Yep. That would be perfect. perfect. And you can that even, work? You can yep. even cut your plant down when you bring it inside about half the size, and then that will help it be bushy so it doesn't get lanky when we, our light time, our daylight hours decrease. Right. Do I keep, when I bring it in, do I keep fertilizing it? Uh, you can fertilize it. You'll want to cut down on your fertilizer. So right now you're probably fertilizing it every every two weeks or so, right, twice right. a month. So maybe you'll want to do once a month to once every second month inside the house because yeah, yeah. you're watering it, it watering it less. So you'll want to fertilize less. Right. And what what would I use? Twenty twenty twenty. Yeah, just a twenty 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 or fifteen thirty fifteen or inside the house. If you just have like a Schultz house plant food, you can use that in the house as well. Right. All right, great. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. All right, you can give us a call or a text at 1-877-332-8255. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke from Dutch Growers. We have Ken waiting on the line with a question about trees. Good morning, Ken. Uh, what's uh, your question for Rick and Jill? Hi. Yeah, another good show, you guys. Thank you. Uh, back in June, I'm in southeast Saskatchewan here, and we had that bad storm back in June. Yep. And it knocked down a tree. I think it's a maple tree. I'm not sure, but it's about a four-inch diameter trunk, trunk right now. And it had to be cut off about uh, four feet high. Okay. And now that thing is just going yep. crazy. Lots of was, lots of suckers out the side of the trunk. Yeah, and out of the top, too. Yep. And it had uh, two main branches going up from about where it is now. They cut it off right at the Y. Yep. Now, there's there's got to be 50 new leaders coming up. Yep, so now you have to choose. Now, and now is the time of the year to do that. Do it now? Yep, do it now, because maples want to be pruned in in basically in July, August, September. Yeah, okay, I know I was doing that with my older maples, but uh, with these shoots just being young like that, and so I I want to get one main leader going back up now. What you want to do is I would cut them down to three. 
Okay. Because okay. don't cut it just down to one right now because you may have, because they're weaker coming out of the main trunk yet, you may lose it for the winter in the, during the winter time. Okay. So that's why I like to have leave three to four and then till the end of next year or to next summer. And then I'll trim that down to maybe two and then I'll leave it for next summer and then I'll go down to put, then go to one. Okay. Okay. And what to, to select the best position of my choices? Yep. No wise. No wise. The why is the problem that you had before. That's why it broke off for it, right? So one coming off the side of the trunk coming up, would that be? Side up, as long as it's a nice coming off the side where it comes off nice and strong, um, that's the best way, okay? Uh, okay? If it's coming out of the middle, as long as it's not uh, coming... Sometimes out of the middle is even better, but it all depends on on the structure. Like I said, you want one that's not coming off where two sh- where two are coming off together in a Y. That's the weakest ones. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. We'll work at that. But Thanks that's why much, like, don't cut them all off. Get, work your way down in the next few years down to the one you want. Okay. But okay. We'll make that selection as time goes. Now you can just get rid of the majority of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good, Good luck with that. Okay. All right. Bye. All right, we have some texts that we can get through here before the end of the show. Um, this one coming from Linda in Langham. Uh, last year, I had blight on my Saskatoons. I sprayed last fall and again in the spring with Bordeaux. Yep. The trees look good, very little signs of it. Do I keep spraying them every year, spring and fall? It's, it, Bordeaux is preventive. Okay. okay. It's not a cure. It's always a preventive, and, and it also suppresses. So if you don't want it to happen again, then just do the spray. The, 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 the orchards, they all... They do it as preventives because they, they can't, once it happens, yeah. they can't stop it, right? Now they've lost a crop. And it's important so. just keep your plants healthy. So yeah. make sure consistent watering and yeah. fertilizing, that will help yeah. those plants prevented from getting that and blight. And Bordeaux's copper spray, so it's not it's not a bad chemical or anything like that. So okay. not a problem. All right. We have a question from Jan. How do I get rid of spider mites? Their webs are everywhere every morning. Okay, so there's two things. Spider mites, you, you barely see the webs. They're between the needles and, and in between the on the right the backside okay. of the leaves. So that you you can see them in the in the sun, but it's not all these webs you see going from like my house right now is covered with spider mites. <laughs> it's these big webs that go from branch to yeah. branch. That's the what I call the Charlotte webs type spiders, mm-hmm. and those are actually beneficial spiders. They just look ugly and, you know, like all these, because they're, they're catching, catching they're catching yeah. other insects, right? Like with the spiders on my acreage, they were catching the, the fish flies. Oh man, they were horrendous this year. Fish <laughs> flies. I mean, you could see them, the, the, the white webbing, because they're just full of fish flies. <laughs> but if you do have a spider mite on your trees, then yep. what you want to use is a, an um, ambush if you have them on like yep. trees and shrubs and an end all if you have them on fruits and vegetables so yep. that's kind and, of and if it's really bad in, it's really really bad like in, a, in an evergreen then you need to use smellthion yeah. okay. and okay. spray every about 10 to 12 days yep. alright so a bit of a project ahead possibly yes. um, this one is also about uh, pests I get a little or the little red bugs on my lilies each year this year I've sprayed them with end all but they keep coming back it was better, but they still ate most of the leaves. Is there anything that works better than that? The nope. lily beetle is really important yep. to get rid of that one because they'll they'll yep. they'll just eat all of your yep. lilies. So. Look on the backside of the leaves in between your springs of ambush. Okay, okay. Uh, look on the backside of the leaves. You'll see these little clusters of, of orange berry uh, orange eggs. So just take your fingernail and just scrape them off, and because that way you they won't hatch, right? And so um, so you just have to be diligent. 
every 10 days with the ambush and then inspecting the leaves if any you missed any spots because once the eggs are there the ambush is not going to attack the eggs until they've hatched okay. okay that first week of june is usually when you'll start seeing those egg sacs when you start getting the buds on your plants that's when we start in the greenhouse scouting for the the lily beetles um, and then if you can get them early and just sort of um, get them off with your fingers um, that's the best way to do it yep. then you don't have to use any chemical Perfect. Um, this one coming from Pete in Esteban. Can you harvest snapdragon seeds? If so, how? Snapdragon seeds, most seeds, you can. all seeds you obviously can harvest because that's how come, how do we get seeds exactly. to start new ones, right? And so it's just a matter of, of the, the problem is, is getting harvest the right time before they go poof and they spread yeah. seeds all over the place, right? So it's just a matter of being there and, and really every year is, is different. When you grow in a crop in the field like the commercial people do, they have a timed, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. For us, I mean, we plant at different times and we do everything. So every yard will be different, whether it's sun, the shade, or it's, you know, because snapdragons can take a little more of a shady or cool spots. Okay. So and snapdragon so, seeds, you want to allow them to dry on yeah. the plant first. And then once they've dried on the plant, you can give them a little shake and then they'll kind of fall, fall out, of the, out of the plant. And then you have the seeds. And that's why you have to be careful because you have to grab them. If you just rip them out of the ground and bring them over to the yard, you're going to, you, all your seeds are going to be spread everywhere, right? So. But uh, yeah, just you have to be careful. And some seeds, some of them, they put actually put a little net around them. Okay. And because they sometimes they also just go poof, and then <laughs> now you've lost all your seeds, and you can grab them in the netting. All right. Yeah, and um, snapdragons are not hardy to Saskatchewan, so the seed's not going to survive the winter. So yeah. if they go poof around your yard, it's yeah, not they're gonna, not going to go. They're not going to seed it. But, but you, they're good. You want to still capture them so mm-hmm. you can bring them indoors and store them indoors and. Plant them next spring. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, we have one call on the line here. This is Wayne in Saskatoon. It'll have to be a quick one here because we go to news pretty soon. But Wayne, what's your question for Rick and Jill this morning? Well, it's the the maple bug invasion. Yes. But like, if you, I'll I'll just ask you what in the world am I going to do with those maple bugs? Yeah, so right now you, you can spray them with ambush right now using a hose and sprayer so you can spray as much of the tree as you can. And that's the best thing right now because they're up there right now. They're just going to start crawling on the side of your house when it starts getting cooler at night, right? But they're... Oh, we have no, oh sorry. We right? have no maple trees and yet we got maple bugs. Oh, well, your neighbors or somebody has maple, maple trees. So Someone's sharing. They're sharing. <laughs> I don't think there's any maple trees in Hampton Village. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they're probably some around because they're, that's, okay. that's their main tree they love. So, yeah, but they're I'll, on the ground, they're yeah. on the driveway, on the house. Yeah, <laughs> then just spray the, 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 the footing of your house with, with, an, with an ambush or what's called okay. doc, Dr. Doom. But don't spray the siding, okay, unless you go to the corner and test it first. But you can put the, on, the, oh. on the parging, okay, on the parging on the cement part. And you can spray that, and as soon as they cross it, they'll die. Any of the sprays, you want to make sure you do a test on your house first because yeah. you don't so want it like to discolor your house. The, they like the bottom, like where the concrete goes yep. to the dirt. They like that area? Yep. That's where you can spray your, your Dr. Doom pyrethrin, and you use a super concentrate, and you spray a, a, a band on the base of your thing, and every time they cross it, they're done. Oh my goodness, okay, I tried spraying them and they just said, no, nah, it didn't hurt. Yeah. They, they also do not like uh, garlic, so if you have some mosquito oh. barrier um, uh, or mix up like a concentrate garlic um, paste, you can put that down too. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. I don't mind about the, the women in the family, they <laughs> don't like them. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks, you Wayne. Have a great day, you too. You too. All right, we are going to have to end the show for the week. You've been listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.